back to the book podcast and our journey with Proust. And we're going to continue to read today from the overture. So we had a little look here. The overture is about 70 pages as the beginning of In Search of Lost Time. And we're now at about page 40. And from last time, Marcel was sent up to bed without a goodnight kiss from his mother because they have a guest in the house, which is Monsieur Swan. And uh, there was this little scene there where Marcel wants to have the goodnight kiss, but he can't get it. And then his father is a little bit almost annoyed and saying, this is enough, just go to bed. So now we're going to follow Marcel, the little boy, when he gets then up to his room. Once in my room, I had to stop every loophole to close the shutters, to dig my own grave as I turned down the bedclothes, to wrap myself in the shroud of my nightshirt. But before burying myself in the iron bed, which had been placed there because, on summer nights, I was too hot among the red curtains of the four-poster, I was stirred in revolt and attempted the desperate stratagem of a condemned prisoner. I wrote to my mother, begging her to come upstairs for an important reason which I could not put in writing. My fear was that Françoise, my aunt's cook, who used to be put in charge of me when I was at Combray, might refuse to take my note. I had a suspicion that, in her eyes, to carry a message to my mother when there was a stranger in the room would appear flatly inconceivable, just as it would be for the doorkeeper of a theater to hand a letter to an actor upon the stage. For things which might or might not be done, she possessed a code at once imperious, abundant, subtle and uncompromising on points themselves imperceptible or irrelevant, which gave it a resemblance to those ancient laws which combine such cruel ordinances as the massacre of infants at the breast with prohibitions of exaggerated refinement against setting the kid in his mother's milk or eating of the sinew which is upon the hollow of the thigh. This code, if one could judge it by the sudden obstinacy which she would put into her refusal to carry out certain of our instructions, seemed to have foreseen such social complications and refinements of fashion as nothing in Francois's surroundings or in her career as a servant in a village household could have put into her head. And we were obliged to assume that there was latent in her some past existence in the ancient history of France, noble and little understood, just as there is in those manufacturing towns where old mansions still testify to their former courtly days, and chemical workers toil among delicately sculptured scenes of the miracle of Theopolis or the Catrfi Aimo. In this particular instance, the article of her code, which made it highly improbable that, barring an outbreak of fire, Françoise would go down and disturb Mama when Monsieur Swann was there for so unimportant a person as myself, was one embodying the respect she showed not only for the family, as for the dead, for the clergy or for royalty, but also for the stranger within our gates. A respect which I should perhaps have found touching in a book, 
but which never failed to irritate me on her lips, because of the solemn and gentle tones in which she would utter it, and which irritated me more than usual this evening, when the sacred character in which she invested the dinner party might have the effect of making her decline to disturb its ceremonial. But to give myself one chance of success, I lied without hesitation, telling her that it was not in the least myself who had wanted to write to Mama, but Mama who, on saying goodnight to me, had begged me not to forget to send her an answer about something she had asked me to find, and that she would certainly be angry if this note were not taken to her. I think Françoise disbelieved me, for, like those primitive men whose senses were so much keener than our own, she could immediately detect, by signs imperceptible by the rest of us, the truth or falsehood of anything that we might wish to conceal from her. She studied the envelope for five minutes, as though an examination of the paper itself and the look of my handwriting could enlighten her as to the nature of the contents, or tell her to which article of her code she ought to refer the matter. Then she went out with an air of resignation, which seemed to imply, what a dreadful thing for parents to have a child like this. Yeah, so he's now trying to have this little trick to get his mother to come to him anyways and writing a little note and also trying to get the, the maid, Françoise, to give it to the mother, even if it's in the middle of uh, like a session of having uh, an important guest with the family. A moment later, she returned to say that they were still at the ice stage and that it was impossible for the butler to deliver the note at once in front of everybody, but that when the finger bowls were put round, he would find a way of slipping it into Mama's hand. At once my anxiety subsided. It was now no longer as it had been a moment ago until tomorrow that I had lost my mother for my little line was going to annoy her, no doubt, and doubly so because this contrivance would make me ridiculous in Swan's eyes, but was going all the same to admit me, invisibly and by stealth, into the same room as herself, was going to whisper from me into her ear, for that forbidden and unfriendly dining room, where but a moment ago the ice itself with burned nuts in it, and the finger bowls seemed to me to be concealing pleasures that were mischievous and of a mortal sadness because Mama was tasting of them and I was far away, had opened its doors to me and, like a ripe fruit which burst through its skin, was going to pour out into my intoxicated heart the gushing sweetness of Mama's attention while she was reading what I had written. Now I was no longer separated from her. The barriers were down. An exquisite thread was binding us. Besides, that was not all, for surely Mama would come. As for the agony through which I had just passed, I imagine that Swan would have laughed heartily at it 
if he had read my letter and had guessed its purpose. Whereas, on the contrary, as I was to learn in due course, a similar anguish had been the bane of his life for many years. And no one perhaps could have understood my feelings at that moment so well as himself. To him, that anguish which lies in knowing that the creature one adores is in some place or of enjoyment where oneself is not and cannot follow, to him that anguish came through love, to which it is in a sense predestined, by which it must be equipped and adapted. But when, as had befallen me, such an anguish possesses one's soul before love has yet entered into one's life, then it must drift, awaiting love's coming, vague and free, without precise attachment, at the disposal of one sentiment today, of another tomorrow, of filial piety or affection for a comrade. And the joy with which I first bound myself apprentice and Françoise returned to tell me that the letter would be delivered, Swan, too, had known well that false joy which a friend can give us, or some relative of the woman we love, when on his arrival at the house or theater where she is to be found, some ball or party or first night at which he is to meet her, he sees us wandering outside, desperately awaiting some opportunity of communicating with her. He recognizes us, greets us familiarly, and asks what we are doing there. And when we invent a story of having some urgent message to give to his relative or friend, he assures us that nothing could be more simple, takes us in at the door, and promises to send her down to us in five minutes. How much we will love him, as at that moment I loved Françoise, the good-natured intermediary, who, by a single word, had made supportable, human, almost propitious, the inconceivable, infernal scene of gaiety in the thick of which we had been imagining swarms of enemies, perverse and seductive, beguiling away from us, even making laugh at us, the woman whom we love. If we are to judge of them by him, this relative who has accosted us and who is himself an initiate in those cruel mysteries, then the other guests cannot be so very demonical. Those inaccessible and torturing hours into which she had gone to taste of unknown pleasures, behold a breach in the wall and we are through it. Behold one of the moments whose series will go to make up their sum, a moment as genuine as the rest, if not actually more important to ourselves, because our mistress is more intensely a part of it, we picture it to ourselves, we possess it, we intervene upon it, Almost we have created it, namely, the moment in which he goes to tell her that we are waiting there below. And very probably, the other moments of the party will not be essentially different, will contain nothing else so exquisite or so well able to make us suffer, since this kind friend has assured us that, of course, she will be delighted to come down. It will be far more amusing for her to talk to you than to be bored up there.
Alas, Swan had learned by experience that the good intentions of a third party are powerless to control a woman who is annoyed to find herself pursued even into a ballroom by a man whom she does not love. Too often, the kind friend comes down again alone. So, <laughs> lots of details here of the emotions and, and the thoughts of the little Marcel as he's now trying to, to trick his mother to coming up to his room to spend a little bit more time with her. Also that he's vaguely aware of that this is also an annoying part for both his mother and his father that he's so, uh, so anxious about this and so attached to her. And uh, you also have the introduction more and more of the theme of Swan's love. So Swan and Odette is, is a, a main part of the first volume as well. So you both had the childhood of Marcel and his attachment to the mother. And then you have Swan and then his relationship and the love he has with Odette. That becomes a, a bigger theme uh, eventually. Uh, and there was also one, one little reference that, um, that Proust put in here. When he says, I think that Francois disbelieved me for like those primitive men. So he's talking now about like prehistoric humans, people whose senses were so much keener than our own. This has got a deep point that is just <laughs> slipping in here in the middle of a long description of his own feelings and anxiety for, for being in waiting. Okay, so uh, we're going to stop this one here. This is just like one dive deep into his experience of this, this little moment of then being up in the room and, and waiting and hoping. Okay, so we're going to stop here. Uh, hope some of this was interesting, some food for thought. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again next time.